Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest. This is one of the first episodes I did flying solo. Um, was a harder conversation going heavily into enemy territory with a very pro-Trumper. Habir was great to talk to. Can't say the same about his audience. Uh, we went live on Instagram and let's just say I stopped reading the comments after like the first three Uh either a bunch of trolls or, you know, we say fear no idea, but, you know, people who back ideas can get very fierce and uh, worthy of fear if they think you disagree with them. And it was very interesting to hear the comments as I'm trying to, like, clarify and, you know, push back on a little bit on different positions. People don't like that. And that's why I'm thankful to have a community here of people at Ideas Digest who go, you know what? I might disagree with Habir, but I'm going to listen to him and not verbally abuse him, which is kind of what happened in the comments. And so have a listen. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, Get your trigger pants ready because it'll be a lively one. But I think, yeah, I I found this really fascinating. Just the way he sees the world and then the way he believes Trump to be the solution. Hopefully I dug deep enough to let you understand. Enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the podcast practice, where we break down the ideas that divide us to find the humanity that connects us. Oh, controversial. Is, does humanity connect us? I believe it does. If you're new to the show, welcome. So if you're, if you're one of our friends of the show's friends, then you're a friend of the show. Welcome. And I'm going to be honest, stick with it. Stick with the show because I've heard we are a slow burn. I'll be honest. The process of moving beyond the agree and disagree divide, it's a bit uncomfortable. It's, uh, it's not comfortable. But like exercise, I promise you will be better for it. That's my promise. You can't really sue me if it doesn't fall through because uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's a difficult promise to prove, but I've made it anyway. So I did say this was a podcast practice, the practice part. So if you're listening and you want to participate in the practice more than just a passive listen, here's what you need to do. Three things. Listen, ask, and reflect. See, I'm a teacher. I've made it nice and small and synthesized it for you. Number one, you're already doing it. Congratulations. Excellent work. Listen. If you're listening to this episode, especially if you've looked at the title and gone, oh, my trigger pants are on, Donald Trump, I'm triggered, and you're listening, that's the spirit of the podcast. If you think you're going to disagree and you're still listening, fantastic. That's why we're here. Number two, as you listen or when you finish listening, comment a question on our Instagram post on this episode when I post the the podcast episode up as you're listening. Comment a question or ask a question that I might have missed. What did I not ask? What do you wish I'd have asked? What would you have asked? What would you like to know more about? And number three, reflect. When you finish the podcast, jump into our DMs and write me a short 255 character tweet response to the episode. What did it make you think of? 
what challenges, what do you think was missed? Just share your thoughts, engage in it that way. That's how we turn this passive listen into a practice. Okay. Uh, With all that being said, if you're joining us live on Instagram, you can shoot through some questions. We'll try and make it part of the show. All the preamble done. Let's get into it. Clickbait this week. Trigger pants, ready, tight, belt done up. Without Trump, America is doomed. I'm hearing little triggers going off in some people's minds. Trump is a very uh, divisive political figure. Even in Australia, we know he's not even our leader, but uh, he, he divides every, everywhere. I see some people in the chats. Let's go. Yes, let's do this. Uh, now, let me introduce new friend of the show. And let me butcher your name with my Australian accent. Welcome new friend of the show, Habir. Is that how I'm supposed to say your name? <laughs> very close enough. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> ah, that's great. Uh, after what I've heard in my life, I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> You'll go with it. Okay, Habia. That's that's what we would say. We go, aha, beer. We make it really, like, butcher it. I, no, no, it, it wasn't. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe what I've heard. So what, what you got, I, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us and coming on to Ideas Digest and being a new friend of the show. It's great to have you here. My pleasure entirely. Thank you for having me. And what I like to do with all my guests is I like to play a game. Uh, Some guests don't appreciate the game, but it's a game we play anyway. And basically, I'm going to make some assumptions about you, Habir. I've never met you. I've looked at your Instagram. Uh, People will hear the clickbait and without Trump, America is doomed, and they're firing assumptions. They're thinking things about you just based on this clickbait and based on the very superficial ways in which we know each other. So rather than deny it, let's embrace it. Here at Ideas Digest, we all do it with one twist. I'm going to put them to you, and you will get the chance to say either yes or no. They're either, and you pick, you pick the closest one. The two boxes are tiny. It's not quite room for nuance, but see how you do. How does that, how does that sound? That works. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, assumption number one. And if you have assumptions and you're listening live, send them through because why not give the person who we are making assumptions about a right of reply? Why not do that? Well, we are going to do it. Number one, Habir, you must be a white evangelical Christian. I am not white. I am not evangelical <laughs> and, I'm not, and I'm not Christian. Ah, okay. Well, I'm looking at you. And two of the three are easy to identify, and uh, that's that's true. So you are definitely not any of those things. You must be then a American, narrow-minded, gun-slinging redneck. Uh, I am not an American citizen, but I lived in the U.S. for 16 years, and I love the place. I love America. Okay. I, I am not a gunslinger yet, but I hope to be if the laws in India would allow me. Okay, okay. Aspiring gunslinger. I like it. Uh, I, I, I absolutely hated the NRA all my life until now when I realized that uh, the only thing that is keeping democracy safe in the entire world is the fact that the American citizens are armed and able to defend it. Otherwise, you have nothing left but to, de- to depend on uh, the state and its operatives to keep you free. And if they decide that... All right. To the- I'm... I've got to cut you off there because there's too much nuance. We're going to get into that in a, in a little bit, but I'm going to put you down as a, uh, you would probably say no to narrow-minded, you love America, 
You're an aspiring gunslinger. Are you a redneck? Uh, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, sure, I am. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I like the honesty. Okay. Well, the thing is, actually, I'm not because that 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 phrase doesn't mean anything here in India. But uh, when I went to the US, <laughs> when I went to the US, my education started in West Virginia, and that's regarded as redneck country. But I love the West Virginians, Ooh. and if if they're if if everybody's calling them rednecks, I'll go with it. Sure, I'm one too because they're Ooh. awesome people, you know. A self-identified redneck. I will accept a yes on that one. So some people will have the, they'll have this assumption about you, and you've probably heard it if you've uh, been open about your political opinions. You must be a white supremacist. Ah. Yes or no? I can't be. Okay. I, I have dangerous things to say about that, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that. For now, I'll say no. Yes, yes. Hold on to it. Excellent, excellent. He's good. He's got the spirit of the game. I like it. Okay. So if you support Trump... You must be sexist. You are a male, so you could probably fit that category if you wished. Well, boys have penises and girls have vaginas. What more can I say than that? Is it, would would you say yes or no to sex if you're you being sexist? Well, the thing is, is that sexist to say that? Is that sexist? I don't know. You you just get to self-identify the box you want to go in. If I said Habir, you're a sexist, you'd be like, ah, oh, yes or no. Uh, I I'm having trouble answering this because it's like you know. <laughs> It's, it's a label they've made up that they want to put on you. And why should I accept that label? So, uh, no, I'm not. So you would say no. There you go. All right. He says no. Okay. Another thing about Trump supporters that comes up, you must be uneducated. I have two master's degrees uh, uh, in, in engineering, in engineering okay. and business. So I think I'm okay. I, I worked on, uh, I worked in finance uh, in, in New York City, uh, you know, so I, I think I think I'm okay as far as education is concerned. Okay, you do not fit that that box there. That's a hard no on un, uneducated. Okay, last one. You mustn't if you support Donald Trump or you think he's an alright guy. We haven't gone into the nuance there yet. You must not care about truth. Who cares about truth at all? I think truth is the only thing that matters and the only thing that will see us through. And I think Trump is. Uh, Truthful more than anyone else that's saying that he's a liar. So you care about truth? That's a hard yes. I care very much and only about the truth. Okay, excellent. And I think everybody listening would probably say that they cared about truth as well. And that's where everything gets complex, doesn't it? Oh, it's difficult to put all these things together. So thanks for playing along. You were, you were very good at this game. You know, some people dive into the nuance a little early, but you're restrained and I, I appreciate that. So um, normally when we talk politics, it's often either a rant or it's a debate and hopefully today will be neither. Because what's interesting to me and what's interesting to this show is how you, Habir, new friend of the show, how you have come to see Trump the way you do that might be different from so many. So before we get into the clickbait, without Trump, America is doomed. Before we go that direction, I want to under first understand you, Habir. We've just met. You're a new friend of the show. Tell me a little bit about who you are, your upbringing, your education. We've touched on a little bit your religion. Just kind of map me a little bit about who you are as a person. Sure. So I, I was born in India. I grew up in India. Uh, when I was 20, I went to the U.S. Uh, to get an education. I, I spent many years doing that. Uh, then I went and worked for a German company that was involved in uh, uh, hydropower turbines and things like that. 
And that's where I first started to run into uh, the environmentalist lobby that was working uh, to destroy hydro, which got me involved in, you know, the racket of environmentalism. And that's when my liberal thought first started to shake a bit. Um, but then I went back to when I went, then I went back to school, and then I went and started to work uh, with a big uh, U.S. bank in New York City for their uh, strategy and corporate strategy and um, mergers and acquisitions and all of that. And then this was 2010. As things started to happen in the U.S., and one day I realized that that the world is about to come apart, and people just don't see it yet. So you grew up in you grew up in India. That's yeah. right. For how, uh, for how long? When did you leave India? I was 20. So I'm 46 now. Okay. So okay. Um, I left when I was 20. I came back when I was 36. And uh, okay. after, coming, after coming back, I got involved in politics and writing and uh, activism and, and all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. just, just, just didn't go back to a, a career after that in, in the sense that, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be an engineer or a banker or anything after that. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. so, so so then I came back to India and I got involved in the politics of the left. So there was a, there was a, there was a new political party here uh, that was essentially replacing, going to replace the existing uh, left-wing party. Uh, their, their platform was, you know, in, India's a corrupt place and, you know, every, everywhere there's corruption. And, you know, so this party's, their agenda was, you know, we're not about left and right. We're just about tackling corruption and making the state function correctly. So I got involved with that, you know, helped some members of parliament who were running and, you know, got to learn a lot about the country and about politics. Uh, and at the end of it, I came out in support. By the time it was all over, I, I found myself uh, supporting uh, various right-wing figures all over the world. After a year, after a lifetime of being a liberal and a lefty, I found myself uh, on the right with the conservatives, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say on the right, but with conservatives, because um, I, I, I started to realize what had you see, as I said, it was in 2010 that I had an idea that you know, the world is going to start coming apart, and it did. And eventually, I came to the realization that it has come apart because of the corruption of both the left and the right. But in Donald Trump, the right is willing to change course and you know save the ship, but the left is not. I want to pause you there because that is ultimately kind of where where I want to end up. Um, I just want to find out a little bit, a little bit more about you. You you grew up in India. You went to school in India. You studied in India. And are you religious at all? So I was. I've been. I was not, or not all my life. I was a rationalist and an atheist and all of the rest of that for the most of my life. Oh. But okay. but for the last uh, three or four years, I've started to explore faith and you know my ancestry and my you know how faith and my religious identity played into the lives of my grandfather and my father and how that has shaped my personality and my character. So I'm on that exploration journey. So I was born a Sikh. I don't know if you've seen Sikhs, you know, big beards, turbans. Uh, I could never be one because of my inability to grow a beard, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, all my, all my life I was clean shaved and I didn't really care about any of that. Never went to temple or anything. But now since I'm on that exploration journey, the one thing I can't do is cut my hair and all that. So I haven't yet put on a turban. But this big, rough, scruffy beard and mustache you see and these long hair you see, it's all me trying to explore my faith and looking pretty ugly on the, uh, on the path to that, uh, that platform. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm struggling with faith now. I mean, I won't say that I, that, that mm-hmm. I know that God exists and he's going to come and strike down the bad people. I can't say that I know that. But, but mm-hmm. very clearly, very clearly, the passions that drive the world and people are very are centered in, in religion and spirituality in a way that I think it is, 
false for the atheist and the rationalist to dismiss. Uh, I'm not making any arguments that, that there is a supernatural power because, because you know, if you, if you look at what the Buddhists have to say about it, what the Hindus have to say about it, what the Sikhs have to say about it, they all have very different ideas, but, the, but the, in each case, the, the, the human need always turns out to be the same. So there, there's something constant about all of us that takes shape in religious faith. So I'm exploring that. So you grew up non-religious and now you're exploring your religious heritage and going, well, I think there's something in this and you're, so you, you wouldn't say you're part, you're, you're part of the Sikh uh, tradition right now, or you're just exploring it now. I would say that I am, uh, but because okay. of my, but because of my political views and because of disagreements of whether a Sikh must or must not have a turban because of disagreements like that, whether other Sikhs would agree that, yes, you are a Sikh or you're not a Sikh would be up to them. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. uh, on, on one hand, I accept that, you know, it's, it's for them to, you know, accept or not accept me as a Sikh. But I also feel that it's really not their business because it's between me and the guru. So, okay. you know, I, I think, I'm, I think I'm, I'm in the part of the Sikh tradition. And uh, if, somebody mm-hmm. has a disagreement with, if somebody has a disagreement with that, they can, they can bring it up and we can talk about it. I noticed you touching on something being part of that spiritual journey that you're going on, these things that drive humanity. And I, and I want to talk, I want to find this point of connection of your politics and the things you care about most. What is it, what is it that drives you, Habir, into, that, that has driven you into politics? Like, what is the thing you value most? And is that connected to your spiritual journey that you're discovering? Uh, so I'll answer that in two parts and see if we can connect that. So what drives okay. me, what drives me really is uh, an obsession with freedom. Because I believe that at the individual level, whatever you think, whatever you believe, whatever you know, it's that that is the freedom of your mind, your spirit, your consciousness, your conscience, and that it is not correct and not appropriate for either the church or the state or the society or your village to oppress you about it. If they don't have to like it, but but to me the idea that 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 the human spirit and the human mind can be controlled and molded for the purposes of either the state or the church is is an abhorrent idea. Uh, and I find that actually very many people are prisoners of their identity. All of us are prisoners of our identity. And an American is not a Canadian. And, you know, and a Canadian knows that he's not an American. You know? So that, that, that identification of self is very much shaped by our environment, which, is, which includes the government, which includes schools, which includes religion, which includes very many things. But in each case, I believe that it is the individual. If, if the individual does not have the freedom to decide for himself what he feels and what he thinks, and doesn't have the freedom to hear from someone who may have something different to say from what his parents told him or the priest told him, then society has a problem. So you're, I'm just, uh, as I track, I'm trying to understand it. So you're, you're linking the fact that freedom is, is of most value to you, but there are things that shape our personal identity that are influenced by things larger than the individual, like the governments and, and culture and things like that. And is, are, are you leading to that might be taking freedom in an indirect way? What, what I'm getting at is that the state, society, and the church will, will take away the freedom and the dignity of the individual if they get a chance. They, they have always done it, and they will always do it. So the, 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 
the essence of human freedom is curtailing the power of the church, of the state, of society to impinge upon the freedom of the individual. This is essentially the idea of America, if I may put it that way. You know, that, that you know, if you have the first, if the first amendment, is, you know, the, the right to free assembly, the right to free speech, the right to free press, uh, Congress shall establish no religion. You know, all of these are efforts to empower the freedom of the individual against the institutions that will oppress the individual. So my, my, my thing is that, you know, you have these institutions that are required because they shape the world that we live in and they shape us, which is the church, mm -hmm. which is government, which is our country. But at the same mm -hmm. time, the, the highest ideal is, is freedom. And so for me, at the individual level, for, which is why for mm -hmm. me, countries, countries like Australia and, and, and England, well, it's dying now, because of, but, but the US, I mean, these are the freedom-loving countries. And there are 150 some odd countries in the world. And apart from these four or five countries, no one else, nowhere else is it really free. You will get into mm -hmm. a lot of trouble. You will get into a lot of trouble if you rock the wrong uh, ladder, you know? So for me, the, 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 way, the, the Pax Americana, if I may put it that way, which is, you know, the American peace, which is preceded by the Pax Britannica, of which, you know, whether the Pax Americana or the Pax Britannica, Australia is a part of it, New Zealand is a part of it, India is a part of it. Uh, if, if, this Pax Amer if, if this world order that the U.S. built after the Second World War goes, then everybody in the world will end up the way things are in Iran and China and Russia and Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And none of us will have any freedoms left and there will be no conceptions of, you know, practice whatever faith you want or do whatever the hell you want in your life or say whatever you want, because you will have very, very powerful organizations that will take that away from you in a flash and you have no mechanisms left to challenge them. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, break that down uh, a little bit and try and unpack the, the mechanisms that you're talking about. So there's you, you value freedom and your you're wary of large institutions enacting laws that can shape the individual's behavior and what they can actually do. Um, what, who, when you're talking about people's freedoms disappearing the world over, if, if this uh, post-World War II pact is, is disbanded, what do you mean when you're saying these freedoms are being taken? Who is taking them? They are being taken, in, in, so in, apart from the U.S., most of the freedoms have been taken away by law. So in, in England, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you a very pan-global kind of a perspective. So in England, people flying the flag of England are risking being uh, charged with hate speech. The, the flag of England is different from the Union Jack. The flag of England is the St. George's Cross. It's a white flag with a red cross across it. That's yeah. a St. George's Cross. That's the flag of England, as opposed to the flag of Scotland or the flag of Wales. So in England, if you're flying the flag of England, you're risking being arrested for hate speech because somebody will come along and say that this is English white nativist supremacism and, and my feelings are hurt and I'm feeling threatened by this. How do we link that speech curtailment to, I guess, the collapse of freedom of the Western world? Where does that link to? How, do you mean how does it lead to that? Yeah, I suppose. What's the roadmap you're talking about that leads to that? So, so, so if you, so, I, I had just given examples. So let me build on that example, right? If if you're in yeah, England, yeah. if you're in England and you're flying an English flag and you get charged with hate speech, behind that charge are the police, the bureaucracy, the parliament that have made the laws that have allowed those laws to be uh, enforced in that fashion. So, so you. On this little issue of the flag, you have the entire legal and administrative system of the United Kingdom 
tending towards using the law to oppress the people and not let them have their say. So today it's about the about freedom of speech. Uh, sorry, it's about the English flag, but it could be about anything. I mean, look look at uh, you know, uh, for example, Tommy Robinson. There are so many things that Tommy Robinson says that are factually, technically, morally correct, but he's not allowed to, and has been pushed into the darkness by the news media, by the courts, by Parliament, by the talking heads as a fascist, uh, Islamophobic supremacist who is not to be heard. And so the things that he is saying are so true that if England does not hear him, England will have trouble that we are not even allowed to speak of today because that would be bad. It would be Islamophobic. So there are, there are all kinds of things that free citizens, decent people have to have the ability to say so that society as a whole can acknowledge them and address them. But in England, you are not allowed to do that because if you do that, you're a hate monger and the police will take you away. So who's... Who would you so these laws being introduced? Because um, I'm hearing it, it comes back to, and it's it sounds like a central argument for for many on the right. That is, it centers around free speech. If things like this can't be said, if you if you can't say something that uh, people interpret as racist, and um, gr- different groups say can't be said, and then they pass a law and and stop that from being said. Who is, who is the behind the government or the motives? Like, why does the government want to stop that speech? What's the play behind that? Look, I think this, uh, it, this is my reading of it. Uh, for the last, since the fall of the Soviet Union, which is about 1991, since then, the, gov- the world has been drifting towards, this is collectively, this is all of us has been drifting towards uh, a, a non-democratic uh, kind of an arrangement. So the European Union is the same, China is the same, we are being drawn into the same thing, in which the idea is that, you know, that, that citizens are little more than units of labor and they should do their labor, enjoy the fruits of their labor and say nothing, while the technocrats, the bureaucrats, the, the shareholders and all these people together decide what is to be done with trade policy, with war, with foreign policy, with economic policy, so, so there are these technocrats, this class of people who are going to run the world and you as private citizens are supposed to shut the hell up and just live your life and stay out of their business and stay out of their affairs. That the people, the, the, the people controlling the governments directly or indirectly are the, what, like shareholders of large corporations, uh, this class of elites that... How are they? How are they manipulating the government to make the governments do what they want? How do they do that? Donations. So, 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 again, I'll go back to the example of, of America, but we can talk about Australia as well. So, in Australia, you had this billionaire who was talking about how we should do business with China, and Australia shouldn't get too cocky with China, because uh, because uh, because China provides you know billions of dollars of business to to, to Australia, if you remember. Now, fortunately, you know, people like Morrison stand up and say, no, screw China. We, you know, that's, that's not how it's going to work. We're a free people. Uh, but yes and no. Okay. The point is basically yeah. in, every, in every democracy, in every democracy, you have people who have been elected to represent the voters. But their machinery of elections, how they finance it, what deals they make in order to be nominated, uh, what deals they make to get their own bill signed and therefore what support they give. It is all generally agreed between all of them 
on a few things. You have to say nothing to Saudi Arabia. You are not to question the CIA. You are not to question China. Any corporation that makes that 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 uh, makes products in China is not to be criticized. Uh, the politicians who agree on trade policies and trade deals that favor China at the cost of America, Australia, are to be regarded as <clears throat> a good thing. Globalization is a good thing. So, so it, you see, the universities are involved in this, the elected officials are involved in this, the corporations are involved in this, the news media is involved in this, Hollywood is involved in this. The whole, the purpose of all of them is to drive the world towards a vision where where there are no borders, there are no the people, individuals have nothing to say that really matters. We're all supposed to get along like as as if we live in a nice nest, and those who hold the levers of government and those who hold the levers of the economy get to run the world as they want and we should let them do it and just be nice people who are not racist and not bigots and not Islamophobes and not any of that. So we are having our mind okay. shut down. Let, let me um, just try and like wrap all that, wrap all that together as far as I understand it. And you can, you can correct me. Oh, you've got some, you've got some real friendly followers here, they're, they're real nice. Uh, listen, I'm trying my best to grow the best mustache I can, but old mate hollow peaks doesn't like it. Listen, Next to her beer, no mustache can really stand its own. But I'm trying, guys. Let's let's all be nice. <laughs> but anyway, um, what what I'm what I'm hearing is that for you as a as a as a person, you your non-negotiable ideal seems to be freedom, and uh, and you are concerned with laws that infringe upon people's individual freedoms being passed by governments that are ultimately beholden to faceless shareholders, sounds like uh, CEOs, billionaire elite type people who have, and now I'm making some assumptions here, who have the money and means to push for an agenda that leads to free trade connectedness that might send jobs overseas, that might lead... Um, that that might ultimately result in legislation being passed that benefits corporation and billionaire, uh, what you said, plutocrat um, elites over the individual citizens. And anytime you're saying individual citizens like that, uh, like what what old mate Tommy was it Tommy Robinson in in the UK, you see him as this figure fighting against the curtailment of his speech as he is standing up for his individual rights as a citizen of a democracy. How does that summary sound to you? That sounds pretty close. Uh, so, okay. you see, here, here, here's, here's the point that we first agree, we, you know, yeah, yes, my whole point is freedom of speech and freedom of the individual and curtailment of the powers of institutions to curtail those freedoms, yes. But, okay. the, but the important point here is that this goes hand in hand with democracy. And it is my opinion that democracy is dying specifically because legislatures are now so entrenched in the hands of the donor class that the ability of voters to get what they want has been nearly crushed. I mean, Britain nearly didn't get Brexit, you know. They voted for it in the referendum and then Parliament spent four years trying not to deliver Brexit and having no justification for not doing what the people wanted. And they nearly got away hmm. with it. The, the Labour didn't want to do it. The Conservatives didn't want to do it. The Liberal Democrats didn't want to do it. And ultimately, it cost a, a, a Prime Minister, it cost the, the, the Conservative Party, 
which had been moving since the Tony Blair years, trying like hell to go like right to the center of everything, has suddenly been yanked way back to the right uh, because the because the conservatives were not delivering what people voters of Britain wanted. So so everywhere you have so in, in in India you have Modi, in the U.S. you have Trump. Everywhere you have the uh, right wing parties suddenly bubbling up because I should say far right because. The, the establishment has essentially become, in every democracy, has become a cabal in which they all get along and run the country and what the people want doesn't matter. And they actively work to suppress what the people want. We will not deliver, uh, for example, Brexit. We will not end the Iraq war. We will not shut down Abu Ghraib. We will not uh, shut down trade with China. The governments decide whatever they want. Legislatures decide what they want. You're a believer in freedom and democracy, and you're worried and pointing out the fact that now the people in the democracy have no power to control the government that they are supposedly electing. I, I want to point out, and, and this may or may not be controversial for some of your, your friendly fans tuning in, um, what, what I'm finding interesting, personally, is... Th- the the anti-establishment left and the anti-establishment right, let's put it that way, seem to be pointing to a same common evil. Um, some people on the left point out money in politics, billionaire donations, the corrupt nature of bought elections and things like that. Uh, but it seems where the where you're pointing to and where I think I see this left-right divide coming out of, it seems like it comes to what are the solutions? So the solutions saying, the right says the solution is Brexit and Donald Trump and the left, well, they would maybe have wanted to stay in the EU and reform it or something. But I think what you're saying about what these problems are of like money and politics corrupting the outcomes and stifling democracy, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound too controversial, to be honest, on, on either side of politics. So you see, it gets controversial because when you said that you know, the far left also has these views and actually they don't. So, for example, I mean, when one of the stories of the United States, I mean, really the stories of everywhere, everywhere, but specifically the United States, the story is that uh, the American working class has been decimated by all the jobs having gone to China. Right. So now you yeah. have. Uh, so the left is supposed to be the party. First and foremost, it's the party of the working class. Right. The people in the factories and the coal mines. The, the, the LGBT, the feminism and all of that comes into it much later. The first grounding, rooting, rooted principle of Marx is the working class. Workers of the world unite. But the left everywhere in the world does not want to talk about the working class. It doesn't matter if they're center left or if they're far left. So, so when you hear Bernie Sanders wanting to build a workers coalition, increase like unions, money and politics, is that not? It's, bull, it's, it's bullshit because, you see, they will talk about uh, wanting to, uh, you know, provide uh, state welfare uh, to, to people who are suffering from poverty. So health care or, you know, uh, universal basic income or whatever, whatever the kind of things that are that they can give from the public treasury. But what they will not do is say, why did the American jobs go to China and who will bring them back? Not Bernie no one, no one on the left, neither the center left nor the far left says that the working class of our country was robbed by China and we need those jobs back and screw China and screw globalization. 
No one on the left says that. No one. They just pretend to be about the working class, but they're not work saying anything that it is going to take to recover the dignity and the security and the prosperity of the working classes of the West. So you wouldn't you wouldn't buy you wouldn't buy what someone like Andrew Yang, who ran for the Democratic primary process, you wouldn't buy what he's saying when he's saying the working class has been decimated largely by automation and exporting the jobs. So you don't think his solution of a UBI is for the people? It's you're saying it, he's a he's a liar or like what is he? No, I, I wouldn't say he's a liar. I would say that there is. Uh... There is, I, it's either cowardice or corruption, and I won't go into which it is. Interesting. So, to, so the simple thing is that, look, uh, I, I live in India. India is a third world country. You guys live very well. And I have seen my country struggle through 40 years of poverty and war and terrorism and, you know, social strife and communal strife. And my country has been working click, click, click constantly towards running a parliamentary constitutional democracy where people like me get to have a say and we vote. Now, compared mm -hmm. to us in our neighborhood, you have China, tyranny, Pakistan, Islamic uh, military state, Iran, theocratic state. We are the, the third world is filled with countries that are in the grip of totalitarians. And my country is one that has really struggled with constitutional democracy and made something of it. So now it comes down to people like Andrew Yang and all of these people, like does a country like India struggle with democracy and human rights and freedom and all of that? And China doesn't. And China robbed you. China robbed your people. China robbed your know-how. China robbed your jobs. Are you going to come out and say, you know, screw globalization? Why are we doing business in China? You know, grab Apple by the neck to bring them back out of China, make them send their jobs to Vietnam or to Mexico or to India. And they don't do that. Because... There is no one except for Donald Trump who's willing to say, screw China. And anybody on the left who's not willing to take China on the face doesn't count. It doesn't matter what ideals you're selling about racism and sexism and Islamophobia and uh, universal basic That's all irrelevant. What if, um, what if the, uh, some on the left, what if their data is, is correct? Like, let's say Andrew Yang's data in that America lost most of its jobs through automation. Does that change anything if that data point is correct or not? No, 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 no. It, it, jobs lost through automation. I mean, that's bullshit. I mean, are, are the other mines automated? So you would say that that's fake news? Yeah, yeah. I think if you will do a research, I mean, you will find that now, now some jobs are being lost to automation now. But you see, here's the thing. Okay. Here's a very important example I'm going to give you. Uh, in the 1970s and 1980s, the Japanese came up, the Japanese car industry came up and everybody started buying Japanese cars and the American auto industry was going to sink. And so the Americans, the American Congress came up with a law, they worked out with the Japanese of how the Japanese could be involved in the U.S. car market, but they had to manufacture those cars in the U.S. So now you have Hondas and BMWs and Nissans and Mercedes is being made in the U.S. So the U.S. protected American jobs. And these foreign companies got to still make their better product with American workers and everybody was happy. But with China, they decided they weren't going to do that. So, so how does the, the quote-unquote screw China approach um, fix bringing jobs back? Like how does, how does a Donald Trump who says middle finger to China screw you, how does, how does that bring jobs back? 
if that's where jobs went because I do know, well, and once again, it all depends on where information is coming from. But um, the mines, a lot of the mining industries in America have been automated and that's where a large chunk of the of the jobs have been reduced to like more higher skilled jobs rather than the high labor intensive ones. The thing is that the when you talk about the working class, you have to go listen to the people who've been impacted and not the assessment of those people by academics and, and media professionals and politicians. So if you go to the coal mining areas of West Virginia and you see what's happened to the coal miners over there, you hear their stories from their own mouths because now in the U.S. is buying its steel and its coal from China. Uh, look. Yeah, that's almost uh, it's that's almost sounds like a um, a global free trade issue rather than a exporting. Well, I guess it's one in the same, right? So it's, so it's like this, okay? The amount of work that China has taken from the rest of the world, not just the US, from Australia, from India, from Bangladesh, from everyone, the amount of work that you, the jobs, the number of jobs and work that China has taken from the world does not just happen. It happened through very deliberate manipulation of the world trade regime, such as the WTO, currency exchange, currency values. China did lots and lots of very nefarious things to make its own economy so compelling that jobs virtually in every country dried up. China pulled off all of this with very nefarious manipulation of global institutions. And if we just only start making China accountable to those global institutions, the Chinese economy will collapse. But this is something that no one wants to cause. So how is this, and I'm just trying to piece it together, so correct me where I'm, where I'm going. Uh, how does this out like these jobs going to overseas and taking jobs from the whole world and China's what well, you're saying China's done that through um, doing dodgy things in order to make their currency lower and things like that how it sounds to me like that happens through a the capitalistic free trade mechanism of outsourcing things like it's cheaper to do it over there because they don't have labor standards um, so you would say that like if that's kind of like capitalism run amok it's just outsourced to get the cheapest dollar that's exactly right this is you know so a lot of so a lot of people who follow me my my videos they're all you know like yeah capitalism yeah and my thinking has been you know that you know free enterprise yes that if you if you cannot in, in, engage in free enterprise then you're not free therefore freedom and free enterprise go together yes however that mm -hmm. that should that should not cause people to lose sight of the fact that money has no loyalties and money has no values so if hmm. somebody if somebody can get can get richer by screwing you he will and that's what that's what happened yeah. you know nike adidas so it's like this okay i'll, I'll give you an example so it, it, this, this black lives things matters black lives matters things happens right so tim cook ceo of apple puts up this thing letter on his um, uh, on his on, on the apple website about injustices and historical injustice and blah 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 uh, but He's making everything in China. Why, why is he doing that if he cares about human rights? Right? So you could also say that China is the, is, the, is the most cash-rich company in the world, the most cash-rich company. And you could say that China could today, all that money that is made, the $100 billion or whatever it's sitting on, it could today spend some of that money and shift manufacturing to Vietnam or to India or Brazil or Mexico or somewhere where there's the human rights uh, records are more respectable. But that will cost China $50 trillion, sorry, um, um, Apple, it'll cost, cost Apple a lot of money. 
It will take a lot of money. It will take it will take a lot of money out of the pockets of everybody who's got Apple shares in their in their uh, in their uh, investment portfolios. None of them wants Apple mm-hmm. to leave China because it'll cost them, right? So you would say you you're a proponent of good regulation, good governance, and some level of human-centered capitalism. So if a company is to look at its bottom line and say, we can save so much money by doing this, and then you would be a fan of a system that went, well, actually, that hurts human rights in these countries. We're going to block that and, and shouldn't allow it. You, you, would, you would prefer some more like, no? No, because I, I am not a fan of regulation for a very simple reason. Regulation presumes that you can see the troubles that will come down the, down the pike in the future, and regulations assume that the people that you are going to be putting in charge of applying those regulations are going to be sound, competent, honest, and wise. And none of those things actually work out. I'm not looking for an ideological, like, you know, capitalism, good, Marxism, bad. I'm not getting at the ideological thing. All I'm yeah. saying is that in the last 30, 40 years, we, the world collectively has gone down a path which is not sustainable. So now either we start recognizing what we did wrong and backing ourselves out of it, mm-hmm. or we are all screwed. Now, in, 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 the, in, in, in recognizing what has gone wrong, if we start trying to put it down into, well, this is Marxism, and this is capitalism, this is communism, and therefore it must mm-hmm. be treated this way or that way, we are going to get lost in a maze of ideologies and not just mm-hmm. ask the simple question that the left and the right together, the left and the right together, sold out every democracy to China, and mm-hmm. there, is no, there is no political language about it, there is no rhetoric about it, there's no discussion about it, so we can't even get people to agree of what the left and the right did together. So now the point is mm. we, need to, we need to rewind ourselves back out of it, out of the rabbit hole that the left and the right took us into in the last 30 years, uh, and I don't want to get too ideological about that except to say, mm-hmm. what are the fundamental values we are for? We are for democracy, we are for free trade, we are for... Uh, uh, free enterprise, we are for free speech, and China is not only none of those things, China is also the greatest threat to those things. And so that that has to be dealt with. That has to be dealt with. I'm hearing, once again, I'm hearing things that are not very controversial and not even very, like you're saying, ideological. Um, it sounds like you're less concerned about the left versus right divide, but but looking at an overarching system that you're describing has been infiltrated and corrupted by by some level of, uh, what is it, just money in politics that changes the incentive structures that then lead to poor outcomes for people living in a democracy. That doesn't sound controversial. Like, that doesn't sound like like something that, too many people would disagree with if that is the case that is the case but but it will the reason that it is controversial is because the left would rather talk about so i'll pause you there the left define that for me because it, it sounds like a broad brush for a very like uh nuanced conglomeration of people like a a single left v right divide is is always too reductionistic. So when you use the word left, exactly what are you describing? I'm talking about the parties of the left that claim to be the liberals as opposed to the conservatives. So that's a pretty broad coalition. That's from like 
Joe Biden all the way through to Bernie Sanders, who... That's right. And you, 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 you say they're the same. They are the same in the sense that, that as I mentioned, we, we, you know, we've gone down a rabbit hole in the last 30 days. And <laughs> yes. not, not 30 days, 30 years. We've gone down a rabbit hole in the last 30 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. And the right, which is whether it's Boris Johnson or whether it's Morrison or whether it's Donald Trump, the right are willing or at least eager to have a conversation about it and bring some changes to fix something. The, the left, which is... I guess my question is, as you, use, as you use the right and the left after kind of describing to me how it's not a partisan thing and it's a, it's a thing that can, that can corrupt both sides, I just want you to be specific. Like, be specific so I can really understand. I want to clarify something, okay? So yeah, what I was trying to get in was that this is not about ideologies in the sense that I'm not getting into uh, capitalism versus Marxism, but I'll, also I am, because really the thing. <laughs> okay. you because, you are. Okay. The, the, you see, the thing is that we really have been running for the last seventy or eighty or one hundred and fifty years, been running on the competition between a couple of competing ideologies or sets of ideologies. Okay, and. These ideologies have not, have both been either have either been run to the to their end, and now it is time to look at where they failed, why they can go no further. So, what new thinking is required, or in what ways they became corrupted, which needs correction? This is a, this applies both to the left and the right. It applies both to the Marxists and and the and the libertarians. Um, so. This is a time for everyone to be asked some hard questions, the left and the right. But the perspective mm-hmm. I'm trying to, the, the reason that I still keep making the, the point more about the left and about the right is that I see the right still trying to self-correct itself in the sense that, you know, people of the right uh, everywhere at least want to go back to first principles. What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be an Australian? What does it mean to be English? Mm. Your values reflected in the things that they come back to. So when, when Donald Trump says, I'm about freedom, I'm about democracy, you're saying that's a good thing because that you're, is you're saying is the founding principle. So let's start there. And you, you don't see that in the left. You see it in the right. And you see it predominantly in someone like Donald Trump. That's right. What I see in the left is that the, the one thing that the left does not want to do anywhere any anywhere in the, the left does not want to do is have a conversation about have we gone wrong where have we gone wrong what do we need to fix the left does not want to have that conversation so let's come back to let's come back to trump then because i guess that's the triggering point like i i i mean i've got i've you know i've got i've got friends one or two of them and i've got i've got a lot of people I know who would sit on the left and who would sit on the right. And when I think of my left-leaning friends, there's a, there's a lot I'm hearing in what you're saying that they say as well, which is actually very interesting. The money in politics, the corruption, uh, the, the bought politicians and all of those things. And I guess the triggering point of this whole conversation, which is why we're having it and people might listen to it and be upset about it, is because you invoke the name Donald Trump. So I, so I want to talk to you about how do you see this figure of Donald Trump as being the solution to these problems that you've just painted? So uh, I, I, uh, for me, Donald Trump, uh, I, I, how do I put it? I had become disillusioned with both parties uh, by the 2010s, both of them. 
And as I told you, in 2010, I decided to return home to India. I mean, I threw my education, my career, my job, my future career prospects. I threw everything in the bin and I walked away. How come? I had started to see that the U.S. is is starting to come apart and things will get much, 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 much worse. I, I, I had started to see the U.S. come apart, that it, that things was going to start getting very bad. I saw this in 2010. This was Obama's second year. And I, I the things that led me to that point and then the things that I saw developing from that point on, I saw no one who would suddenly go, you know, pull on the reins and go, whoa, we're not going that way. Stop, stop, stop. We're going to go that way instead. I saw it. I did not see it happening. And so when the 2016 election comes along, this is, I, I often mention, this is the time when I knew that Donald Trump would be president. This was, this was early February 2016. Uh, they were, the Republican primaries were still going on. Uh, Two states had two states had voted. Uh, Iowa and New Hampshire had voted. South Carolina was next. Now South Carolina is you know Christian evangelical evangelical uh, home country, you know, and um, this, so there's a debate just before the South Carolina primary, and there's Rubio and there's Jeb Bush and there's Ted Cruz and all these Republican big shots, and they're all falling over each other trying to outdo each other on the most fringe, ridiculous, nonsense things that the Republican Party had gotten into. And Donald Trump comes along and says, bullshit. I mean, so Jeb Bush starts saying, oh, yeah, my brother kept me safe. And this guy suddenly goes and says, no, he didn't. So till then, till that point, there had been no one who, in the Republican Party who could stand up and say, George Bush, you messed up. You did wrong. That was all crap. And we got to back away from that. Nobody in the Republican Party was willing to say that. They were all falling over themselves <laughs> of how great George W. Bush was. And Donald Trump comes along and says, no, this is, this, see, this is very important for me. For me personally, the, the, everything changed with the Iraq war, okay? Um, I, was, I was entirely against the Iraq war, uh, not just because I'm an I'm a, I'm a anti-war peacenik. I'm not really an anti-war peacenik. But I do believe that war has to be fought very judiciously. Uh, and, you know, after 9-11, when, the, when, 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 when they went to hunt down the Taliban in Afghanistan, I was like, yeah, you've got to do that. And when they started going off to war in, in, in Iraq on the expense, on the excuse of Afghanistan, I was really very against that. And I heard uh, all of the, uh, the, you know, everybody in the world who was, you know, of any sanity was like, no, the Iraq war is the wrong thing to do. The Democrats were against it. Joe Biden's against it. Hillary Clinton's against it. Everybody's against it, and George Bush is just like, no, we are going to go to war because Saddam did this. And um, after the Democrats had opposed it at every front, by the time it came to vote, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, John Edwards, all of these guys voted for the Iraq War, right? And then the Iraq War turned into, the sh turned into a complete uh, uh, shit fest, as it should have, as it was going to, as it was inevitably going to, and it did. And, and after that, neither the Republicans nor the Democrats wanted to have a conversation about how did that happen? How did both of these parties agree to go do something so stupid and so wrong and so corrupt? And nobody, that, that conversation could not be had in America. And I didn't see how America could go morally forward without <clears throat> having that conversation. And then John... So how does that link to Trump? Uh, that's what I'm coming to. So then you have this, this debate going on. And uh, Jeb Bush tries to, you know... Uh, 
ride his brother's coattails that, you know, I'm the family that, that kept America safe. And Trump says bullshit. And so the thing is that at, at the time that, that the Iraq war thing was starting, Republican voters were behind George W. Bush 100%. They trusted him. They believed in him. Whatever he said about, uh, you know, uranium from Niger and all of that, they believed that their man was telling the truth and his judgment was correct and they backed the Iraq war. So if, if in 2016, if, if, if uh, Donald Trump suddenly starts up and starts saying, this is bullshit, it, you know, everybody, uh, all the media, the Washington Post, everybody's like, you know, Donald Trump put his foot in his mouth again. Again, he shot himself. Again, he goes and says things that the Republican voters don't want to hear. But the thing is that the Republican voters did want to hear it because they had trusted George W. Bush with the war and George W. Bush had blown it up and ruined it and not given good answers. And the Republican voters wanted to have an accounting with what their leadership had done. And Donald Trump offered that accounting during the primaries. And the Republican voters said yes. So just before, this is the time, you know, there are six or seven candidates, 10 candidates in the Republican primary field. Everybody in the Republican field was falling over themselves, trying to get more and more vicious about Planned Parenthood, which provides abortions to uh, uh, underage girls and all of that. And so they, they, the Republicans got into a competition with each other about who could be more vicious, more hateful, more nasty about Planned Parenthood. Well, Donald Trump didn't take the bait. He didn't want to have that conversation. You know, so this is a guy, if you, if you see this, these particular debates, there are all these Republican holy cows that existed till 2016. And Donald Trump comes and says, none of that matters because we've got these but problems. It, but but what else is it about Trump? That's really what I want to get to. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is Trump uh, is openly was openly anti the war, and he was calling these Republicans on their BS. But but what is it like? Is there any like policy positions that Trump has? Is there any like be really specific about Trump as a person and as a leader of a country? No, no, no. See that when we get into that, we start getting into the standard political debates of professional politicians. What is your policy on this? And what is your policy on that? As if you and I are qualified enough to be able to judge those policies as amateurs. That is that is the bullshit of politics that goes on. That is not relevant. My perspective is that after the fall of the Soviet Union, after 1991, till about today, the U.S. got taken by its nose and led along by Saudi Arabia and by China on pathways that were entirely destructive to America and more American moral authority in the world. And Donald Trump comes along and says that both those two things will not continue and he will not let them continue. And for me, that is exactly what was required. But if you can't, I'm, I'm just a bit stuck up on that last thing you said. If you can't, because in, in some level, I understand what you're saying. Policies are very complex and it's hard for like people like you or I, you know, I haven't studied much into like specific economic policies and things like that. But if you can't assess the effectiveness of a man or a, or a, or a government based on policy, how are we then assessing these things that you're pointing out? So the thing is that what it goes to is that sitting sitting beneath the policies is a set of what objectives what are the objectives these policies are supposed to drive us towards and the 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 democracies of the world have gotten confused by arguing about policies but have stopped looking at what the objectives are that these policies are supposed to fulfill 
the reality is that whether it's India, whether it's the US, whether it's Australia, all of our countries are becoming minions of China and losing the levers by which we can exercise but, our but how, like, how do you how do you like assess that and prove it if not to point at outcomes directed and directly linked to policy? Like if if I was to if I was to say, listen, um, like and assess Scott Morrison, our our Prime Minister, if I was to say, listen, he's done he introduced this policy which led to this outcome for this group of people and I am that group of people. That chain of connection, I I don't know how you remove policy from that. So sure. Uh so the the, the first question becomes policy, right? Now the thing is we've been we've been um Everything's been disrupted by Corona. So I'm going to talk about pre-Corona. I don't want to get into what's happening during Corona. Sure. Yeah, sure. But during the time before Corona, Donald Trump, for example, threatened, threatened the European Union to agree to a trade deal with a threat that if the trade deal wasn't coming through, then the German car industry would lose access to the American market in any way that would remain profitable for the Germans. So he, he managed to extract a trade deal with the European unions and get the European Union onto... A, a economic and strategic uh, subservience to the United States. That was a Donald Trump policy, and he achieved it. He doesn't boast about it because what I just said sounds pretty bad if you're supposed to allies. So he doesn't say it that way. But Donald Trump has, whether it's China, whether it's India, whether it's Japan, whether it's uh, uh, the European Union, whether it is Britain, Donald Trump has been following policies that are encouraging and empowering, had been encouraging and empowering the American state and its allies, and its geostrategic uh, situation in the world. Now, if, if, if what I'm saying sounds very broad, it's, it's very broad, because the problem is very broad, right? So, for example, um, you see, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. Do you, do you want to discuss a specific policy? Because I'm trying to say that, you know, make America great is a policy. Uh, getting unemployment figures high happened because yeah. of policy. I'm... Wondering what you would point to to try and convince someone who who sees that Donald Trump isn't those things like and you have done it you've started to point at, at different um, policies so I guess yeah I I, I find I, it's, I find it hard to find another way of showing evidence for someone's uh, effectiveness on acting on what they say they will if he says he's going to do something and then he shows that he's done it with policy and outcome. I don't know any other way how you would convince somebody who wasn't a Trump fan. So I have, I have, um, I, I very honestly, let me, let me admit something and also maybe admit my, my own personal failing in this. I have arrived at a point where I've stopped trying to convince Trump skeptics. I'm, I'm not interested anymore for a very simple reason uh, that if at this stage you have not woken up to the troubles that I see and you do not see the threats there and you cannot, you cannot make out how Trump is helping alleviate that, then you are probably now not going to change your mind because of what I try to tell you. So I, I, hmm. my motivation to try and change your mind is very low. Yeah, that, I, I understand that. Yeah, sometimes uh, you can't change. Well, that's the philosophy of this show. I don't think you can really change anybody's mind. So you can at least understand the mechanisms by which they came to their decision. That's it. That's the very least I think we can do. So maybe let's flip this. And I kind of want to wrap this up. You've been generous with your time. It's, it's been real good. I don't know how many rabbit holes we'll dive down in the remaining few minutes, but I'm enjoying it anyway, as long as... 
as long as you're enjoying it, that's okay as well. Um, in, in light of exactly what you've just said, you're not interested in, in convincing anybody. And that's totally fine. I understand that. Um, but, but I want to put to you, um, your, I want, I want to get, yeah, go. I, I want to make clear that, you know, you need to understand that I used to be a Clinton groupie. I was in love with Barack Obama. <laughs> I was, I, you know, for me, I was, I was a lefty liberal up and down the line. And I have taken a journey to arrive at Trump, right? And now I find that the people who's, the people that I was leading in the lefty, lefty, lefty thing, now they're like, you know, well, we're not going to buy it. Well, don't buy it. What yeah. can, you know, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't buy it. In the, in the interest of, of unpacking some of these things and, and what I've largely taken away, and I, I'm hoping people listening, whether you agree and disagree or disagree with Habir, I don't really care, you know, some people in the chat turn it into a partisan debate as things always devolve into. It's not, not really what, what I'm interested in. But I want to unpack your perspective on some of how the lefties would see it. And so you don't have to convince anybody, but I wonder what you would say to these different types of lefties that you would come across. This is called, this is called, this game that we're about to play is called Convince the Lefty. Okay, so they'll have their, uh, they'll have their different like reasons why they wouldn't vote for Trump. We'll start with, with, uh, with an easy one. And the, the, yeah, go. Point. Here's the thing. The reason I stopped trying to convince the lefties is because for me, it has actually become the other way around. You convince me. I'm, not lo- I'm no longer convinced. Like, you know, let's say I, I, was saying, I was saying to somebody, or maybe I said it in one of my videos, let's say that Donald Trump is a Nazi, a fascist, an Islamophobe, white supremacist, misogynist, Russian agent. Let's say he's all of that. Okay. Yeah. In a, in a time when America faces the re-election of a man like that, the alternative is a senile old man and a broken down old communist. That's what you could come up with. Like, so are, are you really grounded enough to ask Donald Trump hard questions? You're referring to Bernie Sanders as a broken down communist? It, yeah, okay. Yeah, I've, I do find that interesting because there's a lot of the things you point at that I hear him point at as well, like the, the brokenness and the failings of the system. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I want to get your take on, on this. And maybe... I, I just wanted to, you know, summarize what I was just saying by saying that, you know, the people who are opposed to Donald Trump, their own side is in such shambles that, you know, get your own side in order, then we can talk. Because the problem here is not Donald Trump. The problem is that your system broke down and you're not willing to acknowledge it. I want to get your take on this. All right. Convince the lefty. Right? And you don't have to try too hard. However, however you want to do it, that's fine. The female lefty you'll encounter, maybe female, maybe some males, but let's say the female lefty will say he's a sexist. You know, he's talking about grabbing pussies and things like that. What's your response to that? Um, very honestly, I'm, I'm not interested in having that conversation. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Like, what am I going to argue? Am I going to say, well, boys will be boys because it's locker lock talk? What do you want me to say? Well, that's, that's the question. Let's see, the, here's, here's the reality, okay? Everywhere in the world, in every community, in every, in every community, define any which way there are perspectives that you say to people who you trust intimately and will never say publicly. So everybody is a bigot in some way. Everybody is a fascist in some way. Everybody is a hateful in some way. I mean, you see, it's, 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 it, uh. I think I get where you're going with that. I, I think you're, 
you're saying it's a game of morality and morality policing and you're kind of saying nobody's perfect and obviously neither is Donald Trump. Is that roughly what you're saying? So let me put it this way, okay? Uh, when, I, when I was really active against the Iraq war, I'm giving an example again, right? A lot of young people, young men, who were very, you know, fans of, uh, of uh, uh, George W. Bush, you know, they would say to me, you know, raghead, towelhead, you know, these are ethnic racist slurs, right? But my point is, you know, you got emotional about it. You said some shit. My interest is not why did you call me racist terms? My point is 10 years later, can we have a conversation about what we were fighting about? Are we agreed now that, you know, maybe the Iraq war was right, maybe it was wrong? Or do I want to have a conversation? Well, you called me a raghead. You called me a towelhead. I don't want hmm. like people say shit. Fuck, forget about it. People say shit. That's not the relevant thing. Interesting. Okay, I think, and you've preempted my my next one, which would say the other lefty that would say he's a racist, but you you really preempted that one, and it just sounds like you're saying these are just words. Let's talk about the bigger things that matter. That sounds like what you're saying. You know, here's two, two things. Most people are not as good as they would like to believe. And most people are more decent than you would think. So maybe if we give people a chance, just because they talk some shit doesn't mean that they're... That does, so he talks some shit, does that make him Hitler? You know, I mean, if you're so concerned about... Okay, so let me go here, okay? If you're so concerned, like you're in Australia, I'm in India, neither of us is American, so we're an international audience. If we are so concerned about the fact that Donald Trump is a misogynist and a sexist, right? China has concentration camps right now, and the men that has in concentration camps, the Muslim men that has in concentration camps, their wives are being raped by agents of the Chinese state by the hundreds of thousands. So the, so the people who are whining about sexism, they don't want to talk about systemic ethnic side rape by the Chinese state, but they want to talk about how Donald Trump says shit about grab them by the pussy because like that's really that's that's the trouble we're facing in the world right now that donald trump said that oh my god no irrelevant so you're saying they're fixating on the wrong thing they're fixating on garbage so that they don't have to give way on the things that really matter interesting okay uh the next lefty you'll encounter this guy might be a bit of a self-proclaimed moderate lefty and he'll say donald trump is a liar he said he'd invest in medicare didn't said he'd build public infrastructure, didn't, said he'd keep jobs in America, but more jobs have been offshore in the last two years than the four years before him. What do you say to the moderate lefty that's like, he's a liar? Politicians are liars. <laughs> you say all politicians are liars. Okay, all right, all right. Okay. That's a hard one to argue with. <laughs> Joe, Joe Biden opposed the Iraq war, then voted for it, and then turned around and said that he was lied to, even though he wasn't. I mean, you know, so you're going to, that, that works for you? It's, it's uh, you know, Joe Biden is responsible for mass incarceration of black people. Kamala Harris is responsible for innocent people being on death row, people being kept as slave labor in prisons, and that's okay with you, right? So you're, you're more saying it's okay he's a liar because the other liars are worse? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in politics, in all politics, you see, politics is about pleasing the most number of people. But when it comes down to voting, every individual will not ask whether my community or whether my company or whether my tribe was satisfied, but whether I was satisfied. So uh, the politician's job is to try and satisfy the most number of people. So every politician everywhere ends up saying things of which many will not come true because politics is negotiation. So would you say that the ends justify the means at all? No, I'm just saying, let's be... No. See, 
let's let's get out of this gotcha business okay in a, in in everything that is going on you take something that stands out and then you say look i gotcha you know the point i'm trying to make is that if a politician says i will do xyz he may be saying z just because it will get him votes he may be saying x because he will get it done and he may be saying y because he will try his best but it may not happen and at the end of it which of the xyz do you pick and say well you lied about this and you lied about that i mean this is if 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 you are genuine about politics and nonpartisan about politics then you really want to get into are you having a substantial conversation or are you picking holes in the crap mm. that politics is and i think i think that's a non-controversial thing to say like i think i think a lot of people would agree with the fact that substantial conversations need to be had in order for things to move forward which makes me very interested in this next lefty that you would encounter uh, you, you've painted the picture of this political system being big, broken, and corrupted by vested interests of cat uh, by um, corporate CEOs, lobby groups, uh, just uh, plutocrats, autocrats, and different elite elite groups that are using the government mechanism mechanism to pass legislation that favors themselves more than somebody else. And so you'll then come across this anti-establishment lefty that would say to you about Donald Trump and saying. He's just another face for the establishment. They would say something like, in his administration, he has multiple billionaires, ex-CEOs from Exxon, Goldman Sachs, 281 lobbyists used to work for mining and oil, political donations from 81 billionaires, plus the endless corporate political donations. They would say he's just another establishment candidate, just like everybody else. Does that not... No, so this, this again goes into, you know... Uh, not being non-substantial. So by that, what I mean is, um, if Donald Trump is part of the establishment, then why has the entire news media, uh, half the deep, the, the American bureaucracy, one political party, has spent so much trouble last four years trying to tear him down? Whether it's Russia Gate, whether it's grabbing by the pussy, whether it whatever it is. Well, you could say because there's multiple establishments, right? It's like the Clinton establishment v his own establishment. So where's where's the battle of the establishments? Like who's fighting with Donald Trump for Donald Trump? No one. Well, they would say, look at his administration. They'd say, look at Gary Cohn, Goldman Sachs exec. Look at David Bennett, ex-longtime lobbyist for a mining company. They would say they're the people fighting in his corner. Then you look at the Clinton execs and they would have their own lobbyists and billionaires. You see, see, it's like this, okay? We are not being honest. Does one guy, I don't, I don't know the people you've mentioned, okay? But if you've got these two people in his administration and they're connected to coal and mining and whatever you've got these people. Well, they would say like over 200 that's what they would say fine like a lot of them fine the point i'm trying to make is that the do you think that the people on the street who are going to be watching you and me who watch the cnn who watch the bbc know about any of these people but isn't that the problem you're pointing out well, I, I see, I'm trying to get at something very specific. What I'm trying to get at is that the, the establishment wants him out. Which is the establishment that wants him in? The establishment that wants him in has no influence on the voters at all. Ultimately, whether he goes or stays depends on the voters, correct? Whether he goes or stays depends on the voters. So the voters are hearing only from the anti-Trump establishment. Where is the pro-Trump establishment Energizing voters. Well, they would say Fox News, wouldn't they? They would say it's Fox News, Breitbart. They would say that's the. They're not. One Fox News, yes. 
But Fox News also doesn't say 50. See, Fox News hedges its bets. The only one in Fox News that I'm with is Tucker Carlson. But Fox News hedges its bets because there are lots and lots and lots of never Trumpers. And tomorrow, if Donald Trump loses, Fox wants to carry on its business as it always has. So it says some things because its voter base is the Republican base. So it has to satisfy its viewer base. But really, mm -hmm. you see, Fox is not risking its own neck for Donald Trump. Nobody is risking their neck for Donald Trump. MSNBC, CNBC, New York Times, BBC, they lie through about, their noses, noses. What about the people donating money to Donald Trump? Like the, the 81 billionaires giving money to Donald Trump. Are they not risking their money for him? You see, how does that affect whether somebody goes and votes for Donald Trump or not? I'm having the conversation of those who are trying to get him out and those who are trying to keep him in. Where is this? Well, that's how, that's how you... That's how you keep people in, right? Like if, if, if I want someone to succeed, I'd just donate money and that increases their likelihood. No, no, because see, yeah, that works only if that money can be applied to bringing in votes. How is that money being applied to bring in votes for Donald Trump? I, I started in marketing, advertising, campaigning. Where? I haven't seen any. You see, you are talking to me because I am going on about Donald Trump. I am getting mm. no money. I haven't seen any money. Nobody's paid me anything. Nobody's offered me anything. I don't want anything. I'm doing it out of my own passion, right? And mm. I start doing it in a month on Instagram. I go from 200 followers to 25,000 followers in a month and a half. Nobody's mm. paid me for it. We, Donald Trump's support is entirely non-funded, grassroots, passion of people saying, you know, let's do this. We got to do this. Entirely? Entirely. Show me some. Because I guess that's what I'm... That's what I'm trying to, that's trying to, I'm trying to point that out because at least from the, the brief digging I did from like some of the lefties I know that I would talk to, they bring up the fact that he has an extensive list of corporate donations and billionaires backing his campaign. And so like, I will, I, I will say again and again and again, that ultimately it comes down to voters and I am telling you, yeah, but doesn't that matter? No, wait, it's the thing is, how, how, how does it matter? How does it matter? Because without money, you can't win elections. You can't run canvassing campaigns. You can't run your whole political machine. Like it costs a lot of money to run for president. Sure it does. Sure it does. Like the, the American political system requires the people who are in the Senate and running for political office to spend most of their time fundraising. So it's like, it's, it's ingrained, right? Look, I get all that. You always, politics has to get money from somewhere. Politics costs money. The people who gov give you money expect something for it. That's the standard thing. That is not the dispute. That's the way it works for all political parties on all sides. That's not in dispute. The point is that in any environment, there should be a pro and a con when it comes to the arguments that the voters are hearing. Voters are hearing no pro arguments. If, 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 if X, Y, Z, D, Q, P are giving money to Donald Trump's campaign, is that showing up in some way that is changing people's minds, the voters' minds? No. Donald Trump is having to do that entirely by himself as a figure, regardless of money, as I have to do it, as people like uh, who? Carl Benjamin, Stephen Crowder, Tim Poole, uh, all of these people who are on YouTube, they are being funded by their viewers. You know, I'll give you five bucks through Patreon or whatever. We're not seeing any money. Yeah. But, but that's also, I think that 
that might be a misapplication of, of what the argument I'm trying to present to you there. I, I don't think the lefties would be saying that just because he takes money from certain interest groups doesn't mean that everybody who supports him takes money. I don't think that's the argument that's being presented. No, I'm not talking about taking money. The idea, see, here's the point. What you're trying to get at or what these people are trying to get at is that yeah. if XYZ takes money, then he is sold out too. If, if the, the simple fact of the matter is politics costs, democratic politics costs money. Everybody who's running from elections is getting money from somewhere. So if your idea is that, you know, that money buys uh, politicians, that just by getting money, a politician gets sold out. Anybody gets sold out. Where have I misunderstood your argument then when you're talking about the political machine being corrupted by elites and, and, and corporations and big vested interests? Where have I misunderstood your argument? Because I guess I inferred that they do that by the mechanism of money, right? They do that by funding certain people and, and, and funding certain pieces of legislation. Like I know for a fact, Amazon have 80 full-time lobbyists in Washington, D.C. who write legislation and hand them directly to the to the representatives that get them through parliament. If that doesn't mean that that bill isn't going to be stacked in Amazon's favor, I'm not sure what does. Is I thought that was the mechanism you were talking about. How have I misunderstood it? I, am, I, I would like someone to show me what monies Donald Trump has gotten in order to convince him to follow policies that are against the interests of the United States and the American people. I would like somebody uh, to show me that. Every politician, every politician needs money and has donors. Otherwise, we would not have democracy. The question is not that there is money involved. The question is, what do people do with that money? And I would like someone to show me what money Donald Trump has taken that Donald Trump has then paid back by causing damage to America and the American people and the American economy. Somebody please show me that. Cool. Okay. I, I like that, uh, that call to like, you know, you're open to seeing that that different idea there um so as i wrap up love i've loved this conversation i always ask our guests these these questions so how do you habia someone living in india how do you view perhaps those people you know the 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 lefty who um the anti-establishment lefty, the, the, the lefties that you might come across. How do you view those people who are on the other side of the political aisle to you? How do you view them? How do you see them? Fundamentally decent people whom self-righteousness has consumed. Yeah. Okay, good. I, was, I thought you were going to say idiots and morons like in your last video, but no, no, you've revised that. That's okay. Good, good, good. That was probably just a bit of a catchy title to get people in. That's cool. Okay. Um, and how do, you, how, how do you think they view you? I don't care. I don't care. But how do you think? Like if you just had to guess. They don't like me. Uh, I've seen some responses. Uh, you know, it, okay, I'll say that they're stupid. Because, I, you know, that video that went viral where I said a few things and I said, that, you know, if you're criticizing Donald Trump, you're a moron or a hypocrite. Uh, and the only, responses, <laughs> yeah. the only responses that have come back have been so inane and so stupid and so thoughtless that I, I have to ask myself, are you, are we, I mean, like, am I speaking Vulcan or, or do we live on the same planet or same reality? Like, so it's like, you know. The standard response has been, you know, my, my, the argument that I gave was, you know, this is what's happening in Iran, this is what's happening in China, this is what's happening in Libya, 
and you know these are all these violations of 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 human dignity about men and gays in all these xyz countries and these the standard response that came back to me from the lefties was uh well we're talking about the problems in america and i i find it very interesting that the borderless world the borders go up and down to the convenience of these people if you want a borderless world and you're concerned about uh Uh, human rights and you're concerned about feminism and gays and blacks and all of that then you should be concerned about all over the world but when suddenly you get they get asked about you know well what about xyz oh well that's just what aboutery no answers so well, that's just what aboutery and we're only concerned about what's in america well if you're in america and you're concerned about immigrants and you're concerned about the rest of the world or are you not so there is no thinking in the left i'll be very honest with you the minds of the left are shut Okay, so you you stand by your original statement, idiots and morons. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay, and you don't you don't care how how they view you. Um, last question. If you're wrong, right? We all have those thoughts. You know, what if I'm wrong? What areas or assumptions have you made in that hypothetical scenario? When you look at your argument, where do you think if you were wrong, you would be wrong? what assumptions maybe would you think if they if if any assumption was wrong which one do you think might it might be uh that democracy is valuable it may not be oh very interesting okay yeah it it may very well be that institutions like the chinese communist party and the european union these uh, massive organizations of uh technocrats who know better than all the rest of us can can and should handle the economy and society and civilization for us and that we should just live our lives and mind our own business it may be that i don't think it is but it may be that wow <laughs> i really like that uh thoughtful question yeah keep going and if if i i, I so my thinking is that if i'm wrong about donald trump i, I mean if donald trump if i'm right about donald trump if i'm right about donald trump and donald trump goes down i think the world the whole world is headed towards a new dark age i'm very serious about this the technology freedom justice prosperity will all disappear in the next 50 60 years if i'm right if i'm right and donald trump fails if i'm wrong i just become a joker and i get forgotten and everything goes on and there's nothing to worry about <laughs> but you have a sweet mustache so that's good <laughs> it doesn't stay in control <laughs> it's it's doing pretty well like well i think that's a pretty interesting thought provoking uh position to to leave it there habir thanks so much for your time it's been a interesting conversation uh, many people will be triggered all over the world but that's okay hopefully we've got more of an insight into how you see the world um whether you agree or disagree with habir not really the point of the show hopefully you've got something to sit with and digest when it comes to how does somebody different from you see the world now remember at the top of the show if you're already listening great number 1 already done number 2 as you listen or now we're finished comment a question on our instagram page what do you wish i had have asked what what questions do you have for habir himself we can uh, explore those and three reflect shoot me an instagram message What did this make you think of? Where do you think Habir might have been right, maybe wrong? Just share some thoughts there. So that's how we turn this podcast into a practice. So until I catch you in the next episode, uh, have a good one, and I'll catch you later. Thank you, Habir. If you got to the end of the episode and you are not a pro Trumper, then congratulations. It's not easy 
to sit through an entire conversation listening to somebody who you think might be wrong in certain areas and just try and understand. So congratulations. And now it is your moral obligation to trigger somebody else with this episode. You should send it to someone that you might trigger them with or send it to someone who you think will agree with it and get them on board the show that way. They're more likely to click if they're really on board with the clickbait. And it is now your moral obligation to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because, you know, give it five stars, nothing less. And if you wonder what the hell I think, you're like, man, Conrad, are you a pro-Trumper? Tell us what you really think. Well, me and my buddy Russ, if you go on Instagram, follow the links, you can sign up to our mailing list on like a platform called Substack. And on that list... I will post, you know, hidden links where only a very small number of people can be bothered jumping the paywall to get to it. A very small number of people can jump and you will hear what I really think and what my buddy Russ, what we actually think. So in this episode, it's me being very, trying to not have my opinion and just trying to push back where I can to try and pass these things out, point at weak points that other people might think are there. But in the Tell Us What You Really Think series... I'm going to be honest about what I really think, where I think Habir's on the money and maybe where I think he's missing the mark. It's just my opinion. Who really cares? But if you do, check that out on Substack. Check that out by clicking the link on the Ideas Digest Instagram page. As always, you can send us an email, ideasdigest at gmail.com to connect with us. Thanks for listening.